The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Are you sick of me yet? Don't answer. Don't answer. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Allow me to live in my ignorance. Just allow me to just feel the love, even if it's not true. So quick fun fact about Bruce, actually. One of my favorite movie quotes of all time is from the movie Secondhand Lions. I'm not sure if you are familiar with the movie Secondhand Lions, but it is one of the most underrated movies in my life. I can watch the crap out of that movie. I absolutely love that movie. And there's a quote in that movie, and it says this, quote, Sometimes the things that may or may not be true are the things a man needs to believe in the most. That people are basically good. That honor, courage, and virtue mean everything. That power and money, money and power mean nothing. That good always triumphs over evil. And I want you to remember this. That love, true love, never dies. You remember that, boy. You remember that. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. You see, a man should believe in those things because those are the things worth believing in. One of my favorite movie quotes of all time. And even if it's not true that y'all are really excited you got to hear me tons of times this week, I still need to believe it because it's something worth believing in. How was that for a segue to open up the podcast? We are continuing on with our belief that there are myths out there that need to be busted. And... Uncle Bruce is going to help you. He's going to help you bust some of the myths. Yesterday, we talked about running to set up the pass. 
and how that was a myth. And today, we're going to talk about a different myth, one that is near and dear to my heart, even more near and dear to my heart than the myth of wins being a quarterback stat. This is the belief that bigger is better when it comes to cornerbacks in the NFL. That belief that bigger is better is a myth. And I know why this myth happened. It happened because of the Legion of Boom. It happened because of Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner. It happened because they believe, the NFL teams believed, that having taller, longer players would restrict the passing lanes in the passing game, much like having long athletes will restrict the passing lanes in the NBA. That's right. I made a basketball reference. I'm a renaissance man, baby. I'm making a basketball reference on a football podcast. But I think this is a myth. And I'll tell you why I think it's a myth. Number one, there are physiological disadvantages to being tall. Specifically, those physiological disadvantages hurt you as a corner. You have heard me say in the past that in order to be an effective corner in the NFL, you need to be an elite athlete. Now, they're all elite athletes. There's nobody who gets to be in the NFL who is not an elite athlete, but you need to be the elite of the elite. Because across from you, you have a good athlete or a great athlete or an elite athlete. Your job is to follow him, but he knows where he's going and you don't know where he's going. As such, you need to be a better caliber of athlete than him to stay on top of him. And one of the things that you hear me talk about a lot when the draft comes around is the concept of hip elevation. And it's not just due to stride. Everyone thinks I'm talking about stride, and I am partially talking about stride. But one of the things that tall players have against them is because their hips are high, It limits their ability to quickly make breaks. One of the things that's funny about this is we recognize this as being a flaw, which is why we don't put six foot three corners in the slot. We say, well, you know, with slot receivers, you got inside outside breaks and, you know, taller players, higher hip elevation. They're not quite as smooth in and out of their breaks because their hips are too high. And they have to get really, really low. I'll never forget watching Jeffrey Okuda this past year at the NFL Combine and watching him do the backpedal turn drill and just thinking it was basically not safe for work. That's how good it was watching him do that. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an Ohio State guy. It was beautiful. And that's something that taller corners struggle with. So we understand it intrinsically as being a reason why we don't put him in the slot. But yet when it comes to being an outside corner, we're like, oh, it's fine. Well, I understand that there's not as significant of a route tree run from the boundary as there is from inside in the slot. But the same principles still apply. You still got to be able to pedal down and get into a break. You can't just backpedal forever. You have to be able to turn and run with people. You got to be able to hit the brakes 
for button hooks, out routes, comebacks, double moves. Your ability to accelerate and your ability to be agile is hindered by high hip elevation. And it is just as significant of a downside as the opposite, which is being shorter is as far as vertical leap, as far as length. It's just as much of a downside on the upside of being above average height as it is a downside to being below average height. But we only think about it as a negative when a player is below average height. We don't think about it as a negative when they're above average height. Both of those things come with negatives. And specifically, the first one I want to talk about is hip elevation in relating to being tall. The second thing I want you to understand is that this is a relatively new concept, this tall cornerback obsession. If you look at some of the best corners in the league, historically, over the last decade, they're not these six foot three monsters. That's not who they are. They're mostly all between 5'11 and 6'1, with very few exceptions. But mind you, the exceptions above the average are actually less than the exceptions below the average. I just drew an average, 5'11 to 6'1. If you want to go one inch lower, just to hurt my argument, you can do that. Go 5'10 to 6'1. The vast majority of really good corners fall in that range. Why? Because the vast majority of all corners fall in that range. But for every six foot three reasonable corner, there are more five foot nine reasonable corners. And wide receivers have tried to get around this. They have said, well, gosh, you know, if I'm in college and I'm not a player who I think can be meaningful to my college team at receiver, but I have size. I'll move to corner. I'll be converted wide receiver to corner. But it's still not catching up. It's still not becoming something that is more meaningful. This this myth that bigger is better when it comes to corners. It's just not true. Bigger is different, but it's not necessarily better. So there's a sweet spot for cornerback height. Between 5'10", 5'11", and 6'1". Being above that is just as harmful to your ability to play outside your corner as being below that. I would argue that being below that has much more correlation with being good than being above that. Now, there are absolutely more sample sizes. There's a bigger sample size of people below 5'10", than there is people above 6'1", as far as corners in the league go. But I can name you more than a few corners who are 5'10", 5'9", 5'8", and are good players. I can't name you a ton of them that are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", and good. Now, like I said, I recognize the sample size is larger below 5'10". I get that. I fully recognize that, that data point. But the NFL's obsession with height in corners isn't backed up by that. In addition, the NFL equates height with length. That's always a problem. 
Anyone who watches any sort of MMA will tell you that height and length are not always correlative. Just because you're tall doesn't mean you have long arms. And just because you're short doesn't mean you have short arms. Those things aren't necessarily true, but we equate height with length, and that's not true either. Why is that a problem? It's a problem because we equate height with length, and then we equate length with ability to play press man. And that's not true at all. That's part of this myth. It's like a sub-myth. This idea that if you're longer, you can play press man better. Playing press man is about hand positioning, footwork, and aggressiveness. And there are tons of shorter corners who are great at it. In fact, if I have a short corner and I'm trying to minimize the impact that his height has on him, I'm playing him in press. That's what I'm doing. I'm playing him in press. I'll never forget Amik Robertson, ever. Louisiana Tech corner against Colin Johnson. I said it so many times leading up the draft. You're probably sick of me hearing it. Six foot six Colin Johnson. Texas wide receiver. Just got owned by a short Louisiana Tech corner. He could not get off press. He couldn't do it. His length did not save him. Because it's not just about length. Length is not equitable with how well you play press. Now, ideally... You'd like to have a long corner who's also great at press technique, but it's not necessary. You can have a five foot nine corner play on the outside and press and do very, very well. Taller corners doesn't mean you're better. I'm not saying that being short is not intrinsically come with it some disadvantages. It absolutely does. Sometimes there's a length issue. It's not always correlative, but sometimes it is. Sometimes there's a vertical leap issue. We've seen people get big boyed, get mossed, and it shows up on an ESPN highlight on Sunday night of a bigger receiver absolutely mossing a smaller corner. But those things don't happen as often as you think based on the highlights. You see them and you think, see, this is an example right here. That actually doesn't happen that often because contested catch situations don't happen as often as you might think. And so those smaller corners aren't at a disadvantage as often as you might think that they are. More often than not, the person who gets the ball is the person who is separating, not the person who is bigger. And it's harder to separate sometimes if you're a bigger receiver from a smaller corner. And it forces you to throw a low percentage ball. Yes, occasionally you might get mossed. But separation is king. The annals of wide receiver history are littered with tall wide receivers who couldn't get off press because their length didn't help them. Their feet weren't quick enough. Their technique wasn't good. All the length in the world didn't save them. The inverse is true too. All the length in the world won't make you good at press. Taller is not better. Taller is just different. The last part of this conversation is another sub-myth. So I had an overarching myth, which is bigger is better. And then I had some sub-myths, and this is one of them. NFL receivers are bigger than they've ever been. You've heard this before. We have bigger athletes than we ever have. That's absolutely not true. We didn't bother to look it up, but it's not true. The average height 
for wide receivers in the NFL right now is just shy of 73 inches. For those of you doing math at home, 73 inches is still tall. It's above average height for the NFL. But 73 inches is a little bit over six foot. And the actual number is about 72.8 inches. 72.8 inches is a little over six foot. The average height for wide receivers in 1972 was closer to 73 and a half inches. This myth that wide receivers are taller than they've ever been, it's just not true. They were taller in 1972 and in 1970 and in 1974 and in 1976. And then they dipped all the way down and they hit a low at 1990 where it was just over 71 and a half inch was the average height. And then it climbed back up and it hit a kind of a, just about 73 and then it kind of dipped back down 2012 2014 2016 and then 2018 it came up just a little bit but it's not true this idea that we have bigger athletes than we've ever had now we have more athletic guys than we've ever had that's for sure just putting on some tape of some 1970s film versus 2019 film that'll tell you that but they're not necessarily taller at the receiver position than they've ever been so you don't have to have taller defensive backs to cover these unusually tall people. This is not a princess bride scenario where we have rodents of unusual size that need to be dealt with. That's not the case. Wide receivers aren't getting magically massively taller and now we need massive people and we're going to be way worse off if we have smaller corners. Not true. So, I hope that I've done a decent job outlining why we don't necessarily need to take the stance that bigger is better. Bigger is different. Bigger comes with it, positives and negatives, and smaller comes with it, positives and negatives. This is almost a Goldilocks situation. Too tall, too short, just right. That sweet spot between 5'10", 5'11", and 6'1", as far as corner height goes. Get some decent length in there. Get the best of both worlds. Get a Goldilocks corner. But having a corner be over that threshold is not any worse or better than having them under that threshold. They're just different. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to throw a small person in the slot either. So I'll pound the table for that. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to change gears entirely. Now that we've eaten that myth alive, we're going to talk about eating other things alive. And dead and cooked and consumed and masticated. And yeah, cool. Hey, stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We decided to mix it up a little bit this week. We are going to do something weird. We are going to have an almighty take discussion that has nothing to do with football. We're just having some fun, guys. That's all we're doing. We're just having some fun. I am... I, I am hoping that we have the kind of relationship, you and I, where we can have a little bit of fun. I'm trying really hard for you all to get to know me through these pods. That's what I want. I want you to get to know me. Just because you don't know what I look like, just because you don't know my real name, it doesn't mean you don't know me. This is legitimately what Bruce is like in real life. I almost said my real name there. That would have been bad. But we're going to go through your almighty takes. And this week, it was your almighty food takes. So without further ado, let's get started. At Low Buffalo says, his almighty take is nobody cares what I think. And they're right. But this is the almightiest take territory. So here's his take. Wings are not worth it. They're rarely done right. They're always a mess. You still want a burger after 10 of them. Like what you like, but be brave enough to not like what you don't. You know, um... It's a good thing that you don't have your real name or your address or blood type or list of fears on Twitter because I think you get crucified for this. I happen to love chicken wings. There are times when I absolutely can't get enough of them. I like chicken wings for a lot of different reasons. I think they're a very versatile food. I think that if you change the sauce on them, you're changing drastically what they're about. And as far as a mechanism for delivering sauce, I'm not sure you have a better one. So... I like wings. I'm I'm a wing guy. It's a shame I don't live in Western New York, so I can't get the good stuff all the time, but I say wings are worth it. At Matt Chewy 28 says, the potato is the most versatile food in the world today. Think of all the things you can do with it that are delicious. Baked, mashed, smashed, salad, fries, tots, home fries, hash browns, skins, chips, pancakes, and even vodka. It can be used as a side dish, a snack, hors d'oeuvre, in casual settings, fancy settings, and everything in between. The potato is the do-everything player that many football coaches salivate over. I'm sure many of them also salivate over potatoes. That was beautiful, Matt. A potato is incredibly valuable. I'm going to tell you a story about a potato. A potato is a better symbol of love than a rose. The next time you're thinking that you should get a flower... I mean, don't get me wrong. Get her a flower. Get your significant other a flower because that's what they like. But that's what they shouldn't like. They should like a potato instead. Think about it. A potato gives you energy. It's a carbohydrate. So what you're saying by giving someone a potato is, you energize me. When you give them a flower, specifically a rose, it's all covered in thorns. Your love is painful to me. What does that symbolize? A rose dies in a couple days? What are you saying? My, my, my love is temporary? 
if you leave a potato sit on the counter for a long time, it'll start to grow other stuff. That's much more symbolic of love than a rose ever is. That's your big take for today for me. Potatoes are more symbolic of love and relationships than roses are. Moving along, Nathan Cheeseburger Walrus at Burgers MMA says, My food-related almighty take for this week's pod is... Blue cheese is the most underrated condiment out there, just like Frank's Red Hot. I put that stuff on everything. He didn't say stuff, but I didn't say fudge. Nate, I'm not a blue cheese guy. I tried. I wanted to be a blue cheese guy. I didn't grow up with it. I prefer my wings with no sauce. But if I absolutely have to have a sauce to counteract maybe a level of heat or I want a a complimentary flavor, I typically go with ranch. I know. I know. I'm sorry. It's just, it is what it is. At Taylor Wold says, Usman thoroughly dominates Masvidal and earns KO round two. He knows I'm an MMA guy. His almighty take is that. Um, I do think Kamara Usman's going to win against Jorge Masvidal. Patch says, breakfast is the best dinner. That's his almighty take. So I don't really love breakfast food. I know I'm going to get hated on for that. I don't love breakfast food. I'm okay with it. It's fine, but I'd much prefer a burger or pasta or something you typically get for dinner. Dinner is my favorite meal of the day. I can have dinner for breakfast. I can have dinner for lunch. And if I have to, I'll have breakfast for dinner, but it's, I'm not opposed to the concept, but it's fairly low on my list. At Owl Mountain 82 says his almighty take is sauce doesn't belong on good barbecue. If it requires sauce, don't kid yourself. It's not good barbecue. This is not an uncommon take. Barbecue without sauce is not something that is uncommon by any means. Because Texas barbecue doesn't necessarily have sauce. This is opposed to Kansas City barbecue, Memphis barbecue, and Carolina-style barbecue, which all have different degrees of sauce. I agree with you that you don't need sauce to have a good barbecue. Now, I do like sauce with my barbecue. I I prefer it that way, but I've had plenty of examples of barbecue ribs and things like that that didn't have sauce on them. So I'm completely okay with that. I also have a thing about my hands. I don't like getting a ton of crap all over my hands. So because of that, sometimes I like to lean towards a good sauceless barbecue. At Big Sock Big Jock says, chicken wings are best eaten with mayonnaise, not blue cheese or ranch. What the heck? Mayonnaise with your chicken wings? Dude, you are testing my theory that I should let people like things. Rico from Buffalo Fanatics dips his in sour cream. I had no idea this was a thing. Sour cream. I thought it was just ranch and blues cheese, but now, you know, a new contender has entered the ring with mayonnaise and sour cream. I can't do it. I will say this. If you're looking to get a really good, really good Malliard reaction, if you're looking to get a really good browning on meat, putting a light smear of mayonnaise before you sear a piece of meat is really valuable because the egg product in the mayonnaise helps the Malliard reaction happen quicker and faster at lower temperatures. So you can get a better, more consistent browning when you're searing a piece of meat. So funny story about that. Jeremy Gugino says... His alternative take is it's sauce, not gravy. 
what he's talking about is that sometimes Italian food that has red sauce, marinara sauce, some sort of tomato-based sauce that is not mixed with other things to make it a vodka or something like that, sometimes traditional Italian eaters will call that gravy, but a bunch of other people call it sauce. I think I can usually tell what type of family somebody grew up in by whether or not they call it sauce or gravy. So, at Josh Rodden, Buffalo Rumblings guy, the guy who designed this logo for this pod, he's the graphics guy for Buffalo Rumblings, does an unbelievable job. His almighty take is five guys is better than In-N-Out Burger. Absolutely it is. Thank you, Josh. Can I get an amen? I have had In-N-Out Burger. I went to Vegas not too long ago. I had In-N-Out Burger, and I said, really? Really? This is what you're all having that big discussion about? This is what all this nonsense is about? Five Guys is better. Shake Shack is better. In-N-Out is crazy overrated. Jeremy Gugino chimes in again, says, scrambled eggs without ketchup are inedible. I don't eat my scrambled eggs with ketchup. Some people eat it with hot sauce. I like scrambled eggs. I put some cheese in them and some salt and pepper, and I'm good to go. Jason Dykeman says, at Bruce Exclusive, salsa is the most underrated breakfast condiment. I agree with that. I like salsa with egg wraps. So I'll do egg in like a flour tortilla, cut it diagonally, and then I'll dip it in salsa. My wife does a lot of that too. Big fan. Big fan. At Omega Outlier, I knew you. I knew you were coming, Omega. You and I have talked about food enough on Twitter that I knew you were bringing it. His hashtag almighty take is, while it gives the illusion of culinary prowess, even the best grillers cannot compete with the dinkier looking but more reliable and superior sous vide. Water bath all proteins, throw them on for finishing sear, crust, or lines. Embody greatness with everyone's perfect doneness. Spending up to get tender cuts of steak is a holdover from times when cooking equipment and techniques were stone age. You can get very close for the most palates to fine cuts if you prep, cook, rest, slice property, visuals notwithstanding. Okay, so those are two separate takes. The first take is sous vide. For those of you who are unfamiliar with sous vide, a sous vide machine is essentially a heated water circulator. And you put it in a tub and you heat the water in the tub to a specific temperature, exactly that temperature, not a, not a degree over and not a degree under. And then you can shrink wrap, vacuum seal your meat, put it in the bath. And after a certain time that is variable based on the type of meat that you have, it will have been pasteurized. So there will be no issue with any sort of microbials, bacteria, things like that, but it will be exactly that temperature, not a degree higher, not a degree lower. If you wanted 134 degrees, it's exactly 134 degrees. There's no guesswork involved in that. I am a huge sous vide proponent. If you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you know this. I don't think there's a better way to do steak. I really don't. I think it's wonderful. If you have questions, please hit me up on Twitter. I will help you because I, I believe that everyone should have as great of a steak as humanly possible. And I think there's a science to this. So I agree with that. His second take, which is spending up to get tender cuts of steak as a holdover from times when cooking equipment and techniques were Stone Age. I can really, really tell the difference between 
a good steak and a bad steak, no matter how well I do it. So I have a consistent process because of the sous vide in taking steak. I can really tell the difference between a good one and a bad one. He, Omega, might just be better than me because he said he can get really close for most palates. Maybe my palate's just weird, but I can absolutely tell the difference. So I really, really, really agree with one of the takes and I kind of iffy on a different take. Now, maybe I'm not slicing it right and I'm not making the cheap beef taste better and that's a technique issue for me, but I'm, I'm pro sous vide. At MT Scott O2 says corn on the cob is the goat summer food. Oh man, the goat summer food. Oh, give me a cheeseburger corn on the cob. That's a bold take. I used to have grandparents who lived in rural Pennsylvania and they had famous corn from their fields in their general area. And everyone said, oh, this corn is the best corn in the world. And I went and had, I was like, okay, it's, I mean, it's good corn. It's fine. I don't like the fact that it gets in my teeth everywhere. I wasn't a fan. Maybe it's because I was, I had braces when I was little and I grew up and it got in everything. And maybe I just irritated by that. But that right there is an almighty take. At 94 till infinity says his almighty take is Brussels sprouts are criminally underrated. Baked, fried, oven roasted, all delicious. I agree with you. I agree with you on Brussels sprouts. I haven't had them in a long time. It's mostly because they stink when you roast them and nobody wants to make them. But I agree they're criminally underrated. You could do so many different things with Brussels sprouts. I agree with that take. At Roll Bill 72, Justin Napolitano says regular cut and crinkle cut fries, McDonald's, Five Guys, White Castles, Nathan's are the best cut of French fries, but there is no feeling like getting an accidental curly fry in a basket of regular fries. So when I was very young, I worked at an Arby's and occasionally I would make sure that somebody who ordered regular fries would get an accidental curly fry just because I thought it would brighten their day when I was on fry station. So yeah, I agree with you. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to pick a winner right now. And I really don't think that there can be any other take. Omega outlier, come on down. The sous vide take is the almightiest of takes. It's something I'm very passionate about. I believe in it. I think sous vide is a great way to do meat and proteins of all sorts. There are other more efficient ways of doing other types of things where sous vide would be kind of a waste, kind of an overkill. But I believe in sous vide usage for protein cook. So we did a nice little uh, detour there. We didn't talk about football at all for the last couple of minutes, just food. And I hope you enjoyed it because this is the last thing you're going to hear before the weekend. I just kind of wanted to send you into the weekend with a little fun, guys. We don't have to be so serious here. We are super serious. I'm debunking myths and I'm taking strong football opinions. But that doesn't mean I don't love you guys. I still love you. You know why? Because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.